Before we begin, let's talk about Yahoo Fantasy Football. Turn this football season into a fistful of delicious wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. It's the league of choice for my friends and myself that I've used for I don't know how many years. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. So when you play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. But to get in on the wins, you have to get in on the season. So don't miss your chance to play on the best fantasy football platform on the planet. Join a league now at yahoo.com slash Dave Chang Fantasy Football. That's yahoo.com slash Dave Chang Fantasy Football, all one word. And now, The Dave Chang Show. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Last week, we had my good friend, the, the writer, director, Alan Yang, and our conversation was so great that we just kept on rolling, and this is part two of that podcast. So thank you so much. The past sort of year, you've been incredibly busy. Can you talk about all the projects you're working on? Yeah, it's been it's been a, a lot of stuff, you know. Um, so I uh, I work on the show Master of None. Uh, me and Aziz Ansari created this show, and so we finished that season last year, and that came out. And then uh, um, I sold a new show for Amazon. Um, it's with uh, Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen and Catherine Keener. So we've been shooting that. Uh, I did a video for Jay-Z uh, called Moonlight, which was really cool. It has, has uh, Gerard Carmichael and um, Tiffany Haddish and Lil Rel and Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson and uh, Hannibal Burris, all kinds of people in that. And, and uh, that was a – when you pitched that, I, no, you sort of were like, hey, Dave, I got this idea. It's going to be on like premised on the show Friends. I was like – if you can do that, that would be amazing. Yeah, and it was it, basically a shot-for-shot shot remake of an episode of Friends with an all-black cast. Hey. Hey, Mr. Tux. Why aren't you guys dressed? We have a half hour. No, four minutes ago, you had a half hour. We have to be out the door at 20 to 8. Relax, Ross. We'll be ready. It only takes us two minutes to get dressed. I'd feel a whole lot better if you got dressed now. Okay. okay. <laughs> I thought, number one, there's no way in the world that Jay-Z and Rock Nation will want to do this. Number two, there's no way in the world that this is legal. But for some reason, both <laughs> things were fine. <laughs> it was totally okay. I had, I had to write a, a letter that defended like Rock Nation and why this was parody. But, but yeah, it was a really cool thing, and it came together really quickly. And, and uh, I was really happy that, that both Jay and Chaka and everyone over at Rock was, was cool with it. Amazing. And uh, I have another thing that I don't know if it's even been announced, but uh, I'm doing a movie— um, I'm directing a movie this year, and so that's what I'm working on right now. We're in post-production on the Amazon show, and I'm directing a movie called Tiger Tail. Uh, that will be my first uh, directorial movie. So, yeah. so I know a little bit about it. What's about what's the movie about? It's very loosely inspired by my family, and it's sort of a story that's intergenerational and intercontinental. And sort of half the film takes place in modern day New York. And half the film takes place in 50s, 60s, 70s Taiwan, where my dad and my mom are from. And so it's a really personal story. And it's, it's actually more of a drama, which is a little bit of a departure from a lot of stuff I've usually done. Let's, and, and I want to remember to talk about um, our, we always have a lot of talks about um, moving away from your comfort zones. You in comedy, me and whatever it is that I do. But it's, it, I, I think it's fascinating that you're trying to 
grow out of into new territories. But um, the past year, as you've just gone over, has been crazy. And we were plotting to do something together because I think we have a lot of interesting conversations. But like, how the hell did it all happen for you? Because like a year, almost like 14 months ago, you didn't really have all these projects lined up. And then all, yeah. all of a sudden it was like, fuck. Yeah, I think it comes naturally, man. It really comes naturally. And this has been a progression since, you know, I, I worked on this show called Parks and Recreation on NBC, which was a really fun time. And there was some part of me that, you know, was was interested in, oh, let's just keep doing the same thing. You know, let's do network comedy. Let's do sitcoms. Let's do that. And so it's been a very natural progression of, man, what is interesting and what is going to challenge you and what is going to inspire you and really make you work really hard and, and make you the most passionate. And so each successive thing that I've worked on has sort of by chance been different. You know, I think you and I have talked about this a lot where sometimes you make a conscious decision like, I want to do this. But I think more more often than not, when you're doing something creative, it's it's what it's kind of things come along. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to mm -hmm. you? Like that, that's what happens to me. So certainly for Master None, you know, he and I got together and that show was, I would say, pretty different from Parks and Rec. And then the Amazon show was very different from Master of None. And then the movie is very different from all the other things. And so, man, I, I just feel like, why, why do the same thing over and over again? I think that's just less interesting. And it's more exciting to be like, wow, I don't know if I can do this. I think that's super, super exciting. But when I was like trying to figure out your schedule, I was like, how the hell are you doing this? Uh, it's also, oh, there's a couple other things too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about this. Yeah, there's a, there's an Apple show that I'm producing, which I'm really excited about. Um, that's with uh, Lee Eisenberg, Kumail Nanjiani, and Emily Gordon. They're writing it, and it's called Little America. And so that's an anthology show for Apple. Um, and there's a couple other things that I'm producing. <laughs> but but yeah, so we were trying to get this podcast together and, uh, you know, a podcast that me and Dave will do sometime in the future. And I was like, well, from January to April, I I'm incapacitated because we're shooting this show. So um, that's that's the most intense period is when you're actually in production and, and, you know, I was directing a lot of the episodes. So I was like, Dave, I could do it on the weekends. I could do it at like midnight on Saturday if you want. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 pretty, uh, it's pretty rough. I mean, but I've gone through periods where I've thought that I've had things organized and I didn't have anything organized. And I thought that I could effectively like get the shit done. But wound up, I just made everything bad. Like, when do you find that you're actually overworked and you're not actually focused on anything? I think it's getting to that point. <laughs> I think right now it's like, okay, I'm going to focus on the movie. So we're in post-production on the show and that's winding down. But I think with every person who reaches some level of, oh, people are coming to you with stuff, uh, you have to learn when to say no. And I think that's you probably come up in your life as well where, okay, you really need to pick things that you want to spend a good chunk of your life doing. Because at a certain point, the most important currency we have is our time, right? It's our time. So, uh, man, I mean, it's really, it's really a feel thing. And, and I'm still figuring that out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to take everything on. I've said no to uh, some stuff. And, and uh, as far as producing and, and, and working on uh, shows that I'm not writing and creating, it's, mo it's mostly the people. It's like, oh, wow, I really, really believe in these people. I believe in these creators. I believe in these actors. And that's when things really fall into place. And another element of that is I love working with other people. I love collaborating. And I love, you know, 
both Master None and the Amazon show are, are, are I co-created. So it's it's so helpful and and it's a pain in the ass sometimes, but it's also to me just the best feeling. Like when I when uh you know Maya and Fred came to me and wanted to do a show together, uh, I immediately called my friend Matt Hubbard, who's a great writer. He he worked with me on Parks and Rec, and he was on Thirty Rock for years. He's a brilliant guy. You know, he won an Emmy when he was twenty nine or whatever. Um, and I called him. I was just crossing my fingers that he wasn't busy because I wanted to do the show with him. And he fortunately wasn't developing a show this year. And so we did it together. And and it, it, the show is so much better for having had him But involved. how did that happen? It <laughs> happened so fast. Yeah, it happened really like, fast. We go out to dinner a lot and we yeah. always catch up a lot. And then it was like, hey, I know what's going on in Alan's world. He knows what's going on in mine. Then boom, all of a sudden... Oh, I'm I'm filming a show next yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was it was so quick that you know I had moved to New York, you know, because I I like New York, so I moved to New York, and 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 I was like, man, I'm here for good, I'm here for good, and I was like, well, we're doing this show in LA now, so I moved back to LA almost immediately, and luckily you actually moved at the same time. Yeah, that was actually yeah. kind of fun, but yeah, that stuff happens really fast sometimes, and and we were really lucky to go straight to series, and and Amazon was was really supportive, so yeah, we got that together, and and, and Hubbard and I wrote a lot of the scripts, and then we we hired a writers' room and. And that was much faster than I think that, that usually happens. Is it you know? faster because you've done it so much now? Um, I mean, you're 35, 36? I'm 36. And but you look, Alan, <laughs> so Asians have the stereotype, many negative stereotypes. One of the positive stereotypes is <laughs> that you always look young or there's youthful look to Alan. And he look, you look like you're 22. Four. I look like a little baby sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That's what like we we make a joke about. It. I have a friend Jason Walner who's a director, and he looks really young too. So whenever he goes on set, he like has to wear a suit and stuff. <laughs> it's like people think he's a production assistant. So yeah, no, I, I look like a young dude. But I think it, you know, it's not a, it's not the worst thing it's in, not, it's in, a, my, it's in my industry. A great thing. <laughs> but um, well, before I get into the, the 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 granular of your like CV, where do you want to wind up? That's a great question. I want to make stuff that I really like. That's it. And I, I think that sounds like a, oh, this sounds like a pat answer. This sounds like a stupid answer. The the biggest thing, you know, the thing that everyone's trying to do, I think, is is have freedom. Have freedom to to pursue something you're passionate about and and really have fewer limits than you had before. And and it's not about the genre of thing. It's not about the budget of the thing. It's more about, man, can I get to make something that I really believe in that I'm really passionate about? And I, I've had that same question asked of me in, in a few different ways. And yes, oh, I, I want to direct. I want to create shows. I want to produce other shows. Um, and I'm genre agnostic. You know, I've talked to people. It's like, yeah, I'd love to make amazing auteurist films like Paul Thomas Anderson does. It would be fun to work on a franchise like Star Wars or Marvel. It would be fun to keep doing TV shows like I've been doing. Um, all of those things interest me. And I don't think, I think we're in a great time for creators where all of that stuff is kind of fluid. You know, people are moving back and forth in between genres. I think it's been said before, but movies are a lot more like TV now. And TV is a lot more like movies. Like w what is a Marvel movie other than one installment in a 20 episode long series if you right. watch infinity war man that's a tv episode which it's a great one and it's very very high budget but you know the russo brothers were tv directors they came from community and arrest development so there's no reason that you know a tv person like me shouldn't do an episode of a of a marvel of a marvel movie or a, you know or a, or a star wars movie so and i've challenged alan yeah my goal for alan my as a close friend is 
he has not. I, I, I don't think he's ever going to be considered successful in my book until he directs a Star Wars movie. <laughs> we'll put it out there, man. We'll put it out there. Make it happen. We'll put it Kathleen out there. Kennedy, yeah. make it happen. All Give him the call. Do, just got to keep working. Just got to keep making great stuff. But yeah, and the same thing TV wise, man, if you watch, uh, you know, a, a 10 episode HBO or Netflix show, these things are unbelievable and they're they're ambitious and you're getting to make adult stuff, which is really exciting. And so, um, you know, the the movie I'm working on right now is very different from everything I've done. It's it's more of a smaller art house drama. It's definitely different from, you know, Parks and Rec or the Amazon show or Master of None. Um, but in the same way, like I I just it's a, it's a new challenge. And so when people say, hey, five, 10 years ago, what do you want to do? I want to do what I'm doing now, but more of it. You know what I mean? What's challenging about the movie? A lot of things. And the uh, title again is? The title's Tiger Tail, and I just told my dad about it. So <laughs> I told my dad about it a week ago, and I've been working on it for probably a year and a half. So one of the most challenging things is uh, talking to your family, <laughs> as, and that's actually one of the themes of the movie. But uh, yeah, it's it's again very loosely based on mainly the relationship between my dad and my sister, and I it began as this really sprawling, crazy, hundred eighty page script that was a bad sort of Jonathan Franz and everyone has their own chapter like corrections or freedom style story and I kept whittling it down and paring it down and I realized that the most interesting relationship was between my dad and my sister because they have the most interesting inner lives and meanwhile me and my mom are just kind of happier and uh, more easygoing people but you know she actually has a pretty interesting story too so so her story's in there a little bit I reduced my own part very small <laughs> because uh, not very much interesting about a kind of uh, positive uh, high energy guy guy who's happy and works yeah, hard. Alan is easily one of the most positive individuals I've ever met. He's the polar opposite of me, literally, in yeah, so many things. That's why I originally wanted to do a pod, because it was like, man, like I, I, it's actually a problem. Like I, I see the bright side of almost everything, even when shitty things happen. I, I kind of you know, see the bright side of stuff. And, and Dave, as we all know, is a, has a rain cloud over his head. But, you know, we get along. I don't know why we yeah. get along really we get And the only really time well. I think you've ever been legitimately depressed is for a legitimate reason. You tore your Achilles heel twice. Yeah, it's really bad, man. I so I love basketball. Like one of the things Dave and me talk about a lot is basketball. And you know, I was playing pickup a lot. I was pl playing a couple times a week. And so when I was in my twenties, um, I was playing and I I tore my Achilles tendon. I'm like, man, this sucks. I rehab for a year. And then uh, I started playing again. I was like, man, it's great. I'm back. I'm playing. I, I tore my Achilles like Kobe did. And I, I played for another five years. And then I tore my other Achilles. And while I was playing, I was like, I, I, I tore it. And I was like, well, I tore my Achilles. And the other guy was like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, I know what it feels like. I've already torn my other one. They're like, oh, shit. I guess that's the case. But yeah, it was. Uh, it took so a long time to heal. And. I, I think that would make anyone unhappy considering like you move around a lot. So, um, but going back to the, the idea of the movie and um, what was so difficult about other than like the biographical like muscle and sinew of your own life and your dad's life, like what was so hard about making this movie? It's, it, well, I mean, by the way, we're just starting. So we, we have to find locations. We have to find actors. I've been really pleased so far. Actually, I thought, you know, I talked to, uh, I'm doing the movie with Netflix. And so I was talking to Ted Sarandos, who, who helps run Netflix. And, and I All told, praise Ted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a guy who's helped both of us out. Um, but yeah, uh, he said, what is your biggest challenge with the movie? And I, I said, casting, because quite frankly, Asian people don't have the breadth, the acting pool 
that a lot of other races in America have. And that's for a variety of factors. Dave and I have talked about this before, but one of them, it's not just racism or discrimination or the lack of parts, although those have all contributed in the past. We don't have a big enough community yet. And, and I think part of it is the Asian community doesn't push its kids into performing arts. It so just doesn't. Can you, can, can you sort of unravel this a little bit? How does this whole work out? Hey, we have the script. And then once you have the script, what happens next? Well, hopefully you can sell it. You know, then you <laughs> so, sell it. Yeah, so you sell it, right? So you sell it and you get some producers on board, a studio on board. And so I have some great producers, uh, a company called Macro. They, they worked on Fences, that Denzel movie. They worked on Mudbound, which is incredible. They have a bunch of stuff coming out. And... At a certain point, you 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 bring on a casting director, and you're looking for actors, and so, so you read with I've them. I've always wanted to ask this. When you have a casting director, are they intimately aware of the script as well? Yes, that is a huge part of it. And, you know, meeting with casting directors, and we hired a great one, uh, uh, Terry Taylor, who did Get Out and Crazy Rich Asians, and uh, her passion was really, really— really, really inspiring and encouraging. And so when we met with T Terry, she uh, does a lot of the Blumhouse movies as well. And she said, I, I just really want to do this movie. So is she, she like was, a GM of a sports team almost? She is, and she has connections, right? And we've worked with great people before, like Allison Jones is one of the greatest comedy casting directors ever. She did Master of None for us and Parks and Rec. And a good casting director, again, making a movie, making a show isn't a singular endeavor. I can't stress that enough. It's so many different people. And... When someone like the casting director brings their talents, their hard work, their effort, it just changes everything because they might show you someone you've never seen before and that person transforms the movie. There's an old saying that, uh, uh, you know, a movie is 80% script and casting in some way. You know, it, it's, it's just if one of those things is is off— you screwed, you know, you just screwed. It just, you, it's, I challenge anyone to make a great movie out of a dog shit script or with really, really poor actors. It's just really hard. It's just really hard. So yeah, we just started reading people and, and, and so, we're but, still but, in that like, process right now. So but, you're going but, that process. How many yeah. characters do you have to fill? All of them, man. This like how many silly. is that? So in this movie, estimate. God, I, in this movie, I don't know, some 30 or something like that. But Most of them are Asian? They're all, there's, this movie is, I believe all Asian. I think there's one black woman. <laughs> So, so I, I don't know if there's any no white people. people. There's basically in the background. It, yeah, in the background, basically. So man, it's a lot of Asian actors in that it. That should be the title but, of the movie. Yeah. White people in the background. Yeah, but, well that was it was kind of funny because there was a there was an episode of Master of None uh, that we did last year uh, that I directed called New York I Love You. And that episode actually for months and months was the the working title was background. Because one of the ideas was what if you took the people who are always in the background of big movies and shows like a doorman or like someone who's a clerk at a bodega or someone who's a cab driver. Every one of them has an interesting story, probably more interesting than the main person. So, yeah. So let's just follow them around and just have a camera around. I thought it was great. <laughs> Unnerving with the scene of the deaf person too, because that never happens, right? And yeah. And it really puts you in, in their shoes. Yeah, that was one of the things I really fought for. I remember early on, you know, we were writing the script and I was walking on the street and I texted Aziz and I said, Hey, for this chapter that we're doing about the, the 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 deaf clerk, that should just be silent. It should just be totally silent. Let's drop out all audio and we'll have it all be an ASL. And he was like, "Oh, that's a great idea." 
And so we did it and we just shot it that way. Everything. And then we turned it in. Netflix was like, uh, are you guys sure you want this to be silent? Because I thought my computer was fucking broken. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I like, I, are you guys I you, thought that you, too. Yeah, you, you know? want to put some sound effects in? And we're like, no, deaf people don't get the luxury of adding sound effects to their lives. Like, that's not the case. Um, but it was really important to us also in that episode that we, you know, that it wasn't like, oh, these people's lives are sad. They have to work so hard. It's like, yeah, that's part of their lives, but everyone hates their job. Like, it's more like, their lives are funny and it's you know they have they, they fall in love and they complain and they argue about you know their sex lives and and all that stuff and so um yeah that's that's part of it as well so you know the other thing about this movie is you know we've talked about this before where when you cast uh, you know a white lead and suddenly it's about their family well then it's 10 white people so right. basically the same thing happened with this with this a domino effect it's like well there's 10 asian people in this so this you gotta so cast many. 30 asians yeah how how hard is that I honestly, because I think it's very descriptive to the problems we have right now. Yes, it's it's and and we've dealt with it before, right? But I think the really encouraging thing is it's changing, and we've seen a lot of good people. We've seen a lot of good people, and honestly, I would have been pessimistic, man. I would have been a Dave Chang about this like six months ago. I would have said we're screwed, and I hope we can find people who are passable. But uh, honestly, we've done better than that, and no one's officially cast yet. But we've seen some great people. And are the numbers the same? Are you the getting numbers the same? are not the same? So, so this is what I would say, and I and 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 I still joke about this. Like we joked about this on, on Master None and on the other show. Like when we were reading people, it's like, man, like if you're looking for like a thirty year old white guy, like. They're great. There's so many good ones. <laughs> There's so many good ones. And especially in comedy, it's like all of these dudes have gone through UCB. They've gone through Groundlings. They've gone through Second City. They have reps. They've been on stage. They've done auditions. And so you just don't get as many reps a lot of the time. Or, or if you're looking for, you know, an Asian guy who's 30, it's just, there's just not as many and they haven't been trained as much. They don't have, you know, as many, as many auditions, I think. So why, but I think why that's is changing. that? There are some obvious well, reasons. I think there's, yeah, there's a ton of reasons, right? Well, first of all, there aren't as many roles. There just aren't as many. And that starts from behind the camera and that starts from at the top of the studios, right? So, um, you know, there aren't that many people clamoring or making all Asian cast shows or anything like that. So, but the other thing is what we just touched on is, and, and it's it's what, you know, uh, when we when we won the Emmy a couple of years ago, one of the things I said on stage was, you know, Asian parents, maybe a couple of you give your kids movie cameras instead of <laughs> violins because <laughs> we're all we're all playing violin. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think it's encouraged to go into the arts in a, in a sort of any sort of non-traditional sense, which makes sense, by the way. Asian parents, I feel you. It's pragmatic to learn math and science because I think there's also an element. There's a there's a book um, I just read called uh, Reading with Patrick, um, which is written by this Taiwanese writer, Michelle Kuo, which is excellent. Um, but one of the things she talks about in that book is Asian parents teach their kids to do pragmatic stuff because that's something that can't be taken away from us. You know what I mean? Right. And, and literally, my mom used to say this. She's like, hey, be careful. Don't major in English. If you major in English— the teacher can give you whatever grade they want. You know, <laughs> they can give you whatever grade they want and they may not understand where you're coming from. They may not understand your point of view. If you major in math or science and you get all the math questions right, that's an A, motherfucker. That's an A, <laughs> you know, that's 100%. You can't, you know, you can't. Why is that such an Asian sensibility, though? Uh, so There's like Confucianism buried in there somewhere. Yes. Well, the other thing, again, and, and this is talked about in, in this book I just read too, but it's it's a little bit about and this is a little bit uh, of a field of this, but 
I think there's a little bit of a sense in Asian culture of 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 getting along with other people. You know what I mean? It, it's and that is a little bit antithetical to being a creator or an artist in some ways, right? This I, I tell people this story. Like I was a really shy kid, and Dave will tell you I'm anything but shy now. I I can't. I'll, I'll never shut up. I can't stop talking. But when I was a kid, I was really shy. And and part of it was your parents teach you that kind of stuff. Your parent, you grow up in that household. You know, when I was in, in you know driving in a car, when I was riding in a car with my family. Um, you know, I grew up in Riverside, uh, California, which is an hour and a half from LA, and it's it's crazy hot there. It's like 100 degrees. It's on the way to Palm Springs. But if I were in the car and the AC was on too high or something, this is what a white kid might do. They might just turn it off, right? The first thing is they just reach up, turn it off themselves. Second thing they might do, hey, uh, I'm going to turn the AC off. I'm going to turn it on. Can I turn it down? The thing I would say as a timid eight-year-old kid would be like, is anyone else cold? Like, is anyone else right. too cold? You know, is anyone else cold? Like, and then you'd have to sort of, it's just a little bit more diplomatic. You're caring a little bit about what other people are, you know, are Sense feeling. of community. Yeah, it's, I think that, and I don't think, again, everyone's different. Everyone's individual. Um, but I think there is an element of that. I don't know, like that, that's certainly something that I experienced growing up and, and it's, it's not a bad thing, you know, it's, and, and the other thing is you really, you, you know, really tight-knit families, really tight-knit families. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, f I feel like maybe me and my sister really well-behaved kids in some ways, but man, we were terrified of our parents. Like I couldn't watch TV till I was 13 or 14. And then mom and dad look at me now. It's like all I do. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, you know, you just, you just, it's just a different culture. And I think part of that is the Asian diaspora to, to America. A lot of the people coming in the sixties and seventies and eighties, I think were professionals. And that's another element that gets overlooked in terms Your of- Your dad was a doctor. Yeah. So my dad was a doctor. And by the way, like, you know, he came from nothing in, in Taiwan and, and put himself through school and all that stuff because it's all test-based in Taiwan and he's a smart guy. Um, but yeah, he came to America and he, and he, you know, he had high expectations and my mom had high expectations because um, they- you know, they were, they were professional, smart people themselves. And to hear my mom tell, my mom's a high school teacher. So she, and she's really hilarious. She's, she's the, definitely the funniest one in our family, but she's just like, man, America, your schools are a joke. It's so easy. <laughs> she's like, my kids, she says, my kids are both lazy as hell. And they both went to great colleges. And, and all you have to do is work hard. This place, this country is amazing. It's a, it's a joke. If you work hard, you can make it. And she truly believes that she did it herself. You know, she put herself through college and, and became a high school teacher. And she's the best teacher that school has. And, and uh, she's, you know, she has a story in the movie too. And just talking about her makes me kind of emotional because she really, um, she really did some great stuff, and she continues to uh, today. And I know she's a great cook. She's a great cook. Yeah, great she's cook. a great cook. It's a big part of our lives as well. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to buy tickets for the new LASC soccer team, and I couldn't believe how easy it was. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. 
SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and to find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code CHANG today. That's C-H-A-N-G. That's promo code CHANG for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. And now back to my conversation with Alan Yang. But the casting thing, right? So parents, there's got to be more opportunities from the movie studios. Asian parents need to be more cool. Cultural, cultural. Yeah. And, and, and we need role models. That's the other thing that me and Dave talk about sometimes. Like, who are our guys? Who are our guys? You know the things we're shitty at? We're shitty at uh, entertainment. We're pretty shitty at professional sports, unfortunately. I know there's exceptions. And we don't have a huge political voice. And those are the three sort of elements of American culture that are visible and we are not very visible. We just aren't, you know, like our guys, we got John Cho, Steven Yoon and, 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 and Jeremy Lin, as far as males are concerned. And then, you know, on the female side, you know, I don't know. We got, uh, that Lucy Liu has been around for a Constance. bit. <laughs> yeah. Sandra Oh. Yeah. Sandra Oh. Yeah. So, so there's a few, but we also, we also don't have that huge, huge, huge above the title, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington above the title movie star. We don't have one, and we haven't had one. And people will say, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee. It's like, well, I think there's a little bit of a distinction. Those guys are straight up Asian dudes, right? They they grew up in Asia, and they're very, very, and they're martial arts dudes. I'm just talking about who is our regular-ass guy. We need a Denzel Washington. Yeah, I would love a Denzel. Who is it? I don't know. Let's make one, That'd be so amazing. (laughs) I I never even thought about that in my life. I've always thought about... The figure that would transcend race for Asian people would have to be an athlete. So for me, it was always like, man, if we had a six six swing up swing man that could like <laughs> be anything like Michael Jordan, that would just change every perception possible. Yeah, that was we wanted we wanted Jeremy to be like Russell <laughs> yeah. Westbrook. You know, we yeah. wanted him to be crazy. I wanted him to be way uh, yes. We wanted Let's to not make, go down the Jeremy Lin road. Yeah. <laughs> There's many, I have many viewpoints on Jeremy Lin. <laughs> I think he made a lot of wrong decisions, but they happen to be right. He seems like a nice right, guy. I don't nice know guy. Him, but yeah. I wanted him to be, no, I'm not going to say anything. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> but um, having a Denzel version would be, I'd be the yeah. biggest fan and, in the world. And it could be a musician. It could be an actor. It could be an athlete. But the thing is, we just don't really have anyone, you know, and, and it's interesting. Like I was actually, this is very off topic, but have you heard of this Korean uh, K-pop band, BTS? Keep on, everyone keeps on saying it. <laughs> yeah. Man. So I was talking about BTS to uh, our friend, Dave Cho, Dave Cho, the lesser. The lesser? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not Dave Cho, the graffiti artist, another friend of ours named Dave Cho. And, uh, it's just funny watching that video. It's like, well, I don't know. Is this what the representation we I mean, God bless BTS, but they're very sort of androgynous, like 20-year-old Korean kids. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's definitely not really helping change the perception of Asian men as very desexualized and kind of feminine. <laughs> what do you say to the critics that are like, Asian men don't have to do that, right? They, they don't, don't have, have to play the game. 
They don't have to do anything. I, I, and I think, look, it, it shouldn't be this monolithic thing of like, we need a masculine, cool Asian guy. It's like, we don't need one. It would be nice, but we don't have anybody, right? right. We just don't have anybody. And look, we can talk about the stereotypes, uh, you know, of, of, of being an Asian man in pop culture. For decades, it's been the buffoon, the emasculated guy, the guy with no power, the sneaky guy, the villain. The guy that makes bombs. Yeah, the guy that makes the bombs. Tech guy. Yeah, exactly. It's Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's where, you know, it all kind of starts there, Charlie Chan, et cetera. And then Long Duck Dong, and, and you're just the butt of the jokes. It just, it has, it's only just begun to change. You know, it's just begun to change. This is a sort of an argument, not an argument, you know, me and my buddy had in college and he was like, oh, we need better black representation and culture. It's like, we need more black movies and TV shows. Of course, I totally agree. We, we need a huge variety. We need uh, better and more accurate black representation run by black people. And I would always say to him, I agree with all of that when's the last time you saw an Asian guy kiss a woman, like, in a show? And this was, like, you know, pre-Harold and Kumar. This was before. It was right. just nobody. It was nobody. And we're getting there. We're getting better. It's, But we just don't have leads. We talk about leads a lot, too, where it's like, hey, the lead gets to go through all the trials and tribulations. The lead has a life. The lead has an inner life. The lead has an arc. The lead gets the guy or the girl. The lead you know, is the most fully human character. And we just don't really have leads yet. We just don't. I mean, there's just no, I mean, Crazy Rich Agents coming out later this year. I hope it does well. I haven't seen the movie, but we just haven't had one in 20 Let's years. Let's just set this straight. I, <laughs> there have been movies with an Asian leading man, right? Like, there have been like two. I feel like there was, wasn't there one like, replay, wasn't there a Chalian fat movie where yeah, he doesn't kiss Jody the girl? Foster. Yeah, no, 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 I think that's, it was Mira Servino. No, Leah didn't get to kiss, um, um, Romeo must die. That, yeah, right? Jet they edited that out. They, yeah, Jet so they kiss and they cut it out of the movie. Yeah. And I think there's a Italian fat movie made it, uh, an American movie with Italian fat, and he doesn't kiss anybody. I mean, that this is actually and that's thing. not saying again. Like I can already see the the Twitter universe saying like you don't have to be a uh, you don't have to. It's not about that. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? It's, it's just never happened. Yeah, it just really hasn't happened. I mean, yeah, I was telling you know I had lunch with uh, John Cho the other week and and uh, you know he's one of the guys like oh he kisses a woman in a movie like he he did it he actually kissed a woman in a movie like years ago and that that was actually pretty interesting I, I just hadn't seen that before and you know we were joking with Steve Yoon in the Ugly Delicious episode when we we're saying like what a like a transformative figure he was because he was the first Asian man I think to have sex on on screen yeah on a big ass show and on like, a big that was, real show it doesn't I'm not promoting it wasn't about that and I'm not trying to say like he needs to be like a Vero it's not about that <laughs> it was like that was the first time I've ever seen that yes and 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 honestly I think Dave and I are reacting to this is a existing ongoing pernicious stereotype that Asian men are not sexual beings and are generally yeah just not looked at that way and then that's not again as we I mean, we can have a, a talk, yeah. but like, man, I don't know how to talk because many of the critics happen to be Asian women. Yes. Not only. Yeah. But like, especially that scene when I won't even say it because like Dave Cho makes people mad sometimes. But when he compared, you know, to, I won't even go down that road. But 
But and, and by the way, the reverse stereotype is true. Asian women are often hypersexualized, and so that's just as bad. And so, but we never this, talk about exactly. It. And we and, and we talked about this very briefly in Master of None. But um, there's an episode where uh, Aziz's character is on a, a, a dating app, and he's on a date with a black woman, and, played by Kandola Rashad. And they're both like, "Yeah, the statistics bear it out. We have data now, right? We have data from apps. Like, there's hard data. Like, Asian as, men as, and as, black women, black women, and that's hard data. That's as my mom would say, you can't. That's data. You right. know, there's no judgment." on that there's just there's no spin the people who are rejected most or the people responded to least are asian men and black women and and those are two you know two kinds of people who are who are yes. in culture you know often but that's all i want to talk about i'm not yeah. trying to say I, I don't think any of us are trying to prescribe remedies or say that this is the fix I don't but, know what the fix is. I don't yeah, know, but, none of us know. But when we talk about things that are that can be polarizing and very touchy subjects, I simply think it's so we can like bring it out in the open and talk about it. Like that honestly is the best. Yeah, way no, it to really is. I was having dinner with my friend uh, who happens to be a white woman, and she was like, I, I talked a little bit about this this stuff, and she was like, Man, I just never thought of that. And so it's the same thing. You know, it's like the same way that when women talk to me about issues that sometimes women have in workplaces and out in the world, I don't know. I just want you to tell me. Yeah, it's right. great. It's really, really, but when it's, have, it's helpful. When Let's has a bunch of Asians, Asian men or women spoken about this in the mainstream? We don't have a voice, man. You're yeah. it. You're it. <laughs> so, yeah, but we, we don't, we really don't. We just, we're really behind in terms of, we're behind some other sort of uh, subcultures. But that, I, I need to reemphasize this point. People that might be listening to this and be like, that's ridiculous. No, like there's legitimately no reflection of us and our problems in mainstream media. I agree. I, I agree. I, and I think it's 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 really, really limited. You know, it's like we had we had fresh off the boat. That's one show out of 500 shows on TV. Right. That's that's the one. It's the one. It, it's really, and there's, you know, we had, you know, you know, as obviously Aziz is an Asian lead on our show. He's Indian American, um, but but it's very few and far and far between. And and we a lot of people have reached out to us um, who have seen Master None and said, "Wow, it's cool to just see someone be the lead and see." We just haven't seen these characters reflected in a way that where where uh, it's it's. Not, I don't want to even say this word, but normal. It's right. just like he, he's a guy. The point isn't that it's like, yeah, this is an Indian guy or whatever. He has an Asian friend and a friend who's a black lesbian woman. But yeah, it's just, it's just that's how those are what our friends look like. And we just kind of have dinners like that. So right. that's why. Well, and we, we spoke to Lena, Lena Waith about it. And I was like, what's amazing is her peers that are almost all on first name basis now. They're all supporting each other, and they have a community. They have a community. They have a community, and 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 it's it's unbelievable. It's really I admire it, and I'm envious of it. Yeah, it, absolutely. And they all see each other, and they support each other, and they make awesome shit. You know, that's that's what's great, and and they they signal boost each other, which is and it's all sort of collaborative and sort of you know it seems very supportive. You know, and and you know all those people are friends of mine too, and I see them, and I'm but it's there's there's sort of a camaraderie and a kinship and a support there, which is awesome. And and we have not quite yet built that. And and I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Certainly, like, you know, we don't have quite as many people, but the— few We've seen the—I think we know most of them. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, like, if it's an Asian actor or writer, director, like, I probably have met them at least. Or musician <laughs> or chef. Yeah. Right? I feel like it's under 50. It's under 50, and it's, it's also like—but also I feel like, you know, I feel like a lot of Asian people, and this is a crazy generalization— 
Um, they're just not promoting themselves that much. You know, it's like I had lunch with uh, Justin Lin, who's a great director. He did, basically, he took the Fast and Furious franchise and made it into the multi-billion dollar juggernaut it is now. But like, people don't talk about Justin that much. It's like, he's unbelievable. He's uh, His last two, three movies made, you know, over a billion dollars. And he should be in the conversation of getting all that stuff. You know, like, you know, he's made good movies. By, by the way, Fast Five is awesome. Right. <laughs> Fast Five is a great movie. And he's just kind of a dude who just puts his head down and works and just makes cool shit and, and makes stuff, movies that are really popular that people like. Um, but, but he, you know, I don't think he's on that social media that much or like, you know, promoting himself that much. How does this conversation change, right? Particularly in your business in Hollywood, besides movies besides Asian parents besides their you know like how does this happen because part of it is I feel that a lot of the struggles that you have or I might have to a lesser degree uh, are about an audience that's that wants to listen to it and to hear it honestly I think a big part of it and this is this is so there's just in, as many of us as Italians. Exactly. And, in some way, uh, uh, right, exactly, right? It, it's it's something like 5% of America, right? And obviously that covers a wide range of people, but it's that's like one in 20 people. And we certainly aren't making one in 20 films or one in 20 shows, right? So, um, and Is the language barrier? Th- that's That might be a thing. There's actually a thing where, you know, uh, very occasionally I, I get sent commercials to direct and uh, – uh, Someone sent, uh, my agent sent me a McDonald's commercial and it was like, one was for a uh, white market, right? It was just like, okay. And it was the same commercial. And then the other one was, this is for the Latino market and it's, it's in Spanish. And then the third one was for the Asian market. No words, no dialogue. Cause they're like, it's too many different languages. So we're just going to have the people like vaguely make motions. <laughs> I was like, that's really funny and weird. Right. It's like, it's, that's one of the, one aspect is it's a really diverse sort of, we, we say Asian, but it's like, you know what? Asia is a continent and it's, I don't know how many people live there. Over like three billion, probably, right. and so there's. I think there's less, a little less unity, right? There's a little less shared history, right? It's like, is an Indian person interested in the same things that a Korean person is? I mean, who knows? Like, it's who but, knows. But the audience that might not want to watch on the screen or listen to music are a little bit more receptive to food. Yeah, and, well, to, it, and to literature. Yeah, and 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 they have money, right? I've I've read some stuff where like, yeah, the Asian market is, you know, Asian American market in 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 America just goes to see movies. They 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 have buying power, purchasing power. Boy, Asian people love food, as you know, it's insane. <laughs> right, but 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 like I, it bothers me that if food and literature. Like people read Murakami, people love all kinds of stuff, but it just seems to like not get the same support from the buying, the purchasing audience that are essentially white America. Yeah. Yeah. That happen to be Asian that have of the visual arts. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and, and to me, it's also, I, I always put it again, this may be the, the Asian part of me, but it's like, we need to make stuff that's undeniable. We need to make stuff that's just that good, you know? And, and, uh, we're trying, cause you know, we talk about this a lot too. It's not enough to just make something. It's like, Hey, we made something. It's like, no, it needs to be good. It needs to be as good as, or better than what everyone else is making, because that's the only way especially in how crowded the marketplace is for content and for shows and movies and restaurants or whatever, it's got to be the, it can't just be there. It's got to be the best. And, and so. Is that fair? 
that, that I, you I have to work harder than I don't know if it's fair but it's realistic you know it's just realistic that's just the truth and I it, I don't think it's fair or unfair it's like yeah make make something great that's the only way anything can cut through For take everything else out of it take race out of it take whatever identity out of it just you just gotta be your, your thing's gotta be what, awesome what if you know I've heard it too that like what if crazy rich Asians is not great I still hope it makes money. I haven't seen the movie. I haven't read the script or anything, but but yeah. I, no, and I want it to it's, be, but yeah, like, it's a there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of hope for this film. Yeah, and, and I, hope, I hope it just makes money. The other thing is I hope it just makes money because I don't want it to be, hey, this was your shot. <laughs> you get one shot. Right. It's like, how is that fair? Because there's a million movies that star white people that are not great. And the they only still other get to, movie that I like, can, well, people don't want to yeah. watch white people. It's like, that's not the answer. The only movie that I can think of that, wasn't an Ang Lee film, uh, you know, was um, uh, Joy Luck Club. Yeah, that's that, the only one. And, that and was, it's a fucking awesome movie. It was 25 years ago, right? It's yeah. like, why didn't anyone make any more of those? It's like, no. There's only... Yeah, yeah. I and mean, again, it comes from the top, right? It comes from decision makers. It comes from people who can greenlight movies. It comes from people who have, who, who basically hold the purse strings at the studios. And then it trickles down to writers, directors, showrunners, and then it trickles down to the cast. you think snow falling on cedars and that being a bomb <laughs> was a reason or memoirs of a geisha? Well, and well, the other crazy- Because they both bombed. The other crazy thing about all these is like, even when there's a movie in Asia, like, this is a tangent, but it's like, it's hilarious to me that they make Last Samurai and it stars Tom Cruise. And then they make The Great Wall and it stars Matt Damon. It's like, well, all right, even this movie, you can't break somebody, like break a new face. It's like a lot of these movies, like they made Avatar. They put Sam Worthington in it. It's like, wasn't like Sam Worthington was a big star. They just picked some random Australian guy and they're like, yeah, he's the star of the movie. The movie became the biggest movie of all time. They just picked a good looking white guy and it was totally fine. No one was like, I got to see a Sam Worthington movie. So you've been in the industry now for 15 years. How, how, how has it changed from your perspective of inclusion, not just of Asian race, but of like women, black people, gay and lesbian? God, it's just a cultural seismic shift, I think, man. It's, it's, think, about, think about how many things have changed just in general. Like when I started, I now, you know, have a show on Netflix and a show on Amazon. Those things didn't exist when I started. And that's not that long ago. Like, I'm not that old. Like, I'm pretty old. But I'm not that old. Um, and I think in, in, in answer to your question, I think it's, I think the pendulum still hasn't swung the other way. You'll read columns, you'll read opinions. They're like, wow, like all we care about is identity and like being, you know, PC and all. It's like, no, it's just starting to change. Everything's still going fine. There's still enough stuff for the people who had all the stuff before. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's not, keep in mind, it's not just looking at the numbers now. It's looking at the history of all entertainment, right? Look at the history of the, the, the decades and decades and decades of film entertainment. Who have been the leads in those movies, right? It might be 70, 80, 90 years of movies, You've seen the same kinds of stories from the same kinds of stars and same kinds of directors, right? And that's just beginning to change. So I, I don't buy the argument like, wow, the pendulum's shifted all the way. It's like, no, we've right. barely started. We've <laughs> barely started. And good. And the other thing that that I've sort of mentioned is it's it can be good for storytelling as well because a story is all about its point of view, right? It's all about who's eyes you're looking through and 
by having those characters be different people, those specifics matter and they change the tenor of the stories and they change the nature of the stories. And I think that makes for, it can make for fresh original perspectives on stories that we've seen before. Again, I keep on thinking if I'm a non-Asian person listening to this, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like yeah. this is so much. But part of this, we ha I feel like it's our duty to talk about it simply mm -hmm. because there is no like, narrative for someone to listen to that yeah. might want to do something different. Yeah, it's like, I it, it, look, it'd be weird for, like, Simmons to talk about this in his podcast because right. it's like, it's not his story. But here's <laughs> the thing, too. Like, be weird. Here's what's different. I feel like I've always tried to express many of the things I'm now articulating a little bit better through food, and I've been doing that since 2004. I just have never been, like, shouting about it. I was like, I'm going to focus. I don't want my food to express a lot of these things. Absolutely. I, I, I would always, you know, I'd always rather been a show-not-tell guy. You know, it hasn't been like, hey, like, you know, I'm a, I'm an activist or like I'm out there being really overtly political in statements. But, you know, there's a place for that, too. There's a place for that, too, just because you have to be explicit about these concerns and you have to be clear about what they are. Otherwise, people just don't hear them. And, and sometimes, yeah, you might be repetitive, but that's because people honestly, like I was saying, they haven't they aren't aware of this stuff. They and I don't want to speak for stuff. you. I think that for both of us and definitely for me, while it was something that. I think we did on an individual level, particularly myself, as we've gotten older and the community of Asian men and women that you see out there and you see a reflection of them, like it becomes more of a groundswell, like, oh, we need to do this more. Like there's something that happened, like not a switch, but like there's some moment and it was pre-Trump. It was like, hey, we got to like, do more of this. Yeah, well, we got to talk about it more. It, it makes you feel some pride. You know what it is? Because it, it's when people reach out to you and and give you support and and are fans of yours, and you see that a lot of those people, you know, maybe people of Asian descent, or maybe people who haven't seen themselves on screen or have haven't seen themselves expressed in in food, you know, it 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 does make you think, and it makes you feel something, uh, some sort of allegiance to the community, because those are people who are supporting you, and and it's very meaningful. And you realize, oh, that that is a younger version of you who never saw this kind of representation, and and so yeah, I think there is an obligation, absolutely. All right, guys, Alan, thanks for being on the show, and uh, that's it. Stay tuned for. Next week. Appreciate it, Al. Thanks for having me. Before we go, let me ask you a quick favor. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we need to find a little bit more about you. So please go to podsurvey.com slash majordomo and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little bit better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash majordomo. That's M-A-G-O-R-D-O-M-O, podsurvey.com slash majordomo. Thank you for your help.